Hey guys, welcome to Rank and Vile, the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? So, I was watching American Gladiators today. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, as one does. Yeah, so Hulu has a... They don't have the entire series. They have a, quote, collection, unquote, which is really all you need is to just get your beak wet with American Gladiators. Mm-hmm. You don't need to, the continuity of it. <laughs> Yeah. So wait. So is this the uh, the back in the day American Gladiators, or is this like they a have both the full season of the 2008 Hulk Hogan hosted American Gladiators, <sighs> and a compilation of the um, a smattering of the <laughs> 80s 90s original. See, I back in the like when I was a really little kid, I loved American Gladiators, and like they all had names like Nitro and Shark Mouth and Punch Arm, and it was. The, the thing that I remember most was the huge Q-tips yes. that they would hit each other with. Big old Q-tips. So um, it is very wrestling adjacent. Like, mm-hmm. it is sports entertainment. Uh, a lot of them have come out and said, oh, yeah, it's worked. Um, we definitely <laughs> did some of these things. And and it's really shocking to hear that the game where you shoot people with tennis balls from an air gun uh-huh. was not real. <laughs> <laughs> Which, honestly, I did not know that it was a work until just now, and I am quietly scandalized. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, oh, no. I, 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 of course, I can't just watch a thing. I have to read the <laughs> Wikipedia while I'm watching it. What can Nitro I believe in now? wrote a memoir, and he actually had a really terrible uh, steroid addiction. You don't say. That yeah. guy? Holy shit. That's... Yeah. I, this makes me wonder, like, how much of the things that I was into as a kid were just a complete work. Like, American, like, okay, like, Guts, like, Nickelodeon, or, were, were those kids in on it? Like, no, when that, that kid... Or, or Legends of the Hidden Temple, what happened when a temple guard grabbed you? Because yeah. from my vantage point, you died. You, they, your parents buried you that day. They were handed your body... Yeah, I, that was the thing, is, like, when you got a kid um, doing the, the Shrine of the Silver Monkey... Were they putting the head of the, of the silver monkey on the bottom because they were trying to get booted off because they agreed to take a dive for yeah, the money? Yeah, yeah, like some producers like, listen, we'll give you a huffy if you just fuck this up. <laughs> if, you, if you take a dive in the third round, we'll give you a huffy, kid. You and, can have yeah. a, a, a walk, a um, watchman, one of those portable oh, TVs. Shit. Oh my god, that's, I, this is... I keep wondering, I keep wanting to look back at stuff like on Nickelodeon, like Snick specifically, that I loved when I was a kid. And I'm kind of realizing, like, there's, I don't, maybe you can't go home again, you know? Like, there's a certain... Now, it it hasn't been in the past ten years, but I have rewatched Are You Afraid of the Dark, and it, from recollection, does hold up. As does Pete and Pete. Because Pete and Pete is not for children anyway <laughs> it really isn't although uh are you afraid of the dark a bunch of them are up on youtube so i one day when i was at work i just like shotgunned a shitload of them um a lot of them are still really good yeah there's something about the format of anthology horror television that really mm-hmm. helps screenwriting like there's yeah. always young spunky screenwriters that are writing good spooky you know, half hour television. Yeah, shows. yeah. Well, because I I feel like if you're um you're writing in genre, I feel like horror is uh, both easy to get us started and also hard to do well. And I feel like if it's sort of like, all right, well, write me up a twenty minute uh, horror episode of a thing. 
I feel like you can show off how good you are while also, you know, sort of working in a genre that you can use a lot of the beats and be clever with it. Like, I, it makes total sense to me that if you're, like, a hungry young writer starting out, that the uh, the moguls at Nickelodeon circa 1992 were like, you want to write a ghost story? But really, I think if you get any group of uh, millennial creatives together, we can oh, yeah. talk about how many genius concepts were used in Are You Afraid of the Dark and how influential that is. Oh my god, like, yeah. The um, eraser that kills the comic book villain that oh. comes to life because an eraser for really big mistakes erases the page. Yeah, actually, do you know what the the episode that stuck with me the most when I was a kid from Are You Afraid of the Dark was the episode where it turns out that the kid has been trapped inside a pinball machine the whole time? Oh man. Like, because he's, like, in a mall, and he's doing, like, weird D&D shit, and then it's, like, he sort of gets to the end, and you're, like, okay, great, he gets to get out, and then a giant silver ball rolls to the top of the escalator, and it's, like, oh, no, and as a kid, I was, like, I think that's bad, <laughs> getting trapped in a pinball machine? Maybe um, not. So, I, back I, to I American Gladiators. I'm watching mm. this show, and this David Foster Wallace wannabe-looking motherfucker is on there. And they keep talking about how he's from New York, and he's a writer, and he's an intellectual, mm. and he looks like a total jerk. And he's like, I'm going to be good at American Gladiators because I grew up in New York, which means I have a lot of street awareness, so I'm going to know when to dodge the Q-tip at the right moment. <laughs> And then they say his name is Billy Worth. Okay. And I think this guy looks familiar. Okay, whatever. You know, right. everyone looked the same in the 90s with, you know, a black bandana and long hair. Then right. in the next interview, he goes, yeah, my um, on-set training has really helped prepare me to shoot these tennis balls at Nitro. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is he talking about? And the interviewer's like, yeah, you're an actor. Um, tell us about the time you were in Lost Boys. And I went, wait a minute. It's what? Billy Worth from the Lost Boys. Vampire oh. number two, Billy Worth, competed on American Gladiators, and that shit is on Hulu for you oh, to watch. Oh, shit. He, wait, he was the vampire with the long hair, right? Yeah. Fuck. And also, how the mighty have fallen went on American Gladiators <laughs> as a nobody, you know, John John from, C. Nobody, who's here to win his fame and fortune. From lost boy to swollen man, he is, <laughs> he is beefy. He is showing up. He is on the juice. He stopped <laughs> sucking blood. He's now sucking down steroids. He needs help. Um. So the. The ghoul shit that I've been into this week, uh, which by the way, this just reminds me. So the book that I know that I've been shilling for a lot, but it's what I've, it's like all I've been um, devouring all of Grady Hendrix's oeuvre. And there's a bit in My Best Friend's Exorcism, um, which uh, by the way, uh, Quirk Books, uh, thank you guys for that. Um, there is uh, the, the exorcist uh, in the book is from Quincy. Did you ever uh, get to see or learn about Power Team? I've heard, I did not grow up the same kind of Southern Christian as all of my friends, but mm -hmm. as an adult, everyone, just like how everyone <laughs> my age knows about Carmen, except for me, right. like everyone my age that talks about growing up in the South as like a Baptist knows power team. Yeah, that's I. Which I love that, like the Exorcist in this thing. It's literally just like, yeah, like you know, I've got, I've really got a protein load because I'm about to kill a demon. Like it's, 
Um, it's beautiful. And I, so I, I've just read that. The, the other thing that I uh, have been uh, devouring, uh, so uh, g- former uh, guest, like fr- uh, guest on the show, um, I guess, uh, friend of the show, Mallory O'Mara, uh, yeah. just had, yeah, Lady from the Black Lagoon that came out. So I went out to uh, an event uh, in LA a couple of days to support Mallory. And um, she did this like Q&A thing with her co-host on Reading Glasses. And uh, this book is so fucking good like i any it, it, it's uh so it's on sale now if you haven't gotten lady from the black lagoon i fucking implore you like if you're into monsters or shitty dudes or like not into shitty dudes but if you're into reading about dudes being shitty and like it basically it vindicates um a, a person named millicent patrick who straight up fucking designed the creature from the black lagoon but like nobody but a few people had ever heard of and the thing is like a giant um it's there's so much research it's a giant expose about like yeah bud westmore completely fucked over millicent patrick and buried her and took credit for all of her designs are you telling me a man a grown man who goes by the name bud was a jerk (laughs) yeah like if you're if you're a grown-ass adult man and you want everyone to call you bud Speaking of Millicent Patrick, and I've got to get that book. I'm I'm so hyped to get it. I haven't oh, yet. It's, Speaking it's of Millicent incredible. Patrick, have you seen the new teenage um, werewolves uh, horror theme club shirt? No. What is it? It says in the Stephen King rules font, Millicent Patrick rules. Oh fuck! I uh, on the air right now. We'll make a note to uh, make sure Mallory has seen this because like. Like, this has been, I think, what, five, six years of Mallory's life is like, like, you know, she spent all of her savings researching this. And like, the thing that annoyed me is that people online were like, "Eh, this book is too feminist because like it focuses too much on Mallory O'Mara. And it's like, so much of it is like talking about how, you know, Mallory latched on to Millicent Patrick because like when she was like a young ghoul who was getting into movies and wanted to be a filmmaker and like, she found this old still or like this old backstage uh, photo of Millicent Patrick working uh, on a, like a drawing of the creature, and it just became fucking obsessed with Millicent Patrick. And whew, man, it's so if yeah, if guys, if you haven't gotten your copy yet, I it's it's also funny as shit. Like Mallory, you know what a thing I appreciate with writers now is if their footnote game is really good. Yeah, footnotes make a book. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So that's that's the thing that I've been reading. So obviously, uh, you've been um. Um, I think spring break for the last week. Oh yeah, and um, another thing is speaking of books, uh, Betty Rocksteady, another uh, bud of the shows, uh, The Writhing Skies is out, and I picked that up on um, Kindle. It mm-hmm. is uh, at the time of recording still super cheap. It's like four bucks for the ebook, and it's all about um, otherworldly phosphorescent creatures and how they're like eating people's brains and stuff it's super cool i haven't gotten to read it yet but it's uh it is sitting on my kindle awaiting me to dive in man this is i've got so many books like that like i've had i've tried reading exactly one jack ketchum book in my life and i'm I, i keep doing the thing of like okay so if i'm gonna be like a dedicated horror you know reader and and horror person i feel like i need to have read more jack ketchum and then i think i'm kind of looking at it and going you know what maybe i'm good you know like uh, the girl next door by jack ketchum is really fucking hard to get through and i think i'm kind of cool just cutting my losses on it you know i think it's fine to start with new stuff just like 
the writings of H.P. Lovecraft inspired other better writers. Just read mm-hmm. the people that like Jack Ketchum and not actually Jack Ketchum. <laughs> good shit. Actually, that's a really good point. Like the ones that uh, have already taken. It's it's like. Uh, you don't actually have to listen to really bad psychedelic music uh, from uh, the late 60s because Roxy music exists. Exactly. So this week, oh, oh, sorry, hot off the presses. Um, someone just, my assistant just handed me a press release. <laughs> Dean Kane's new sex robot movie, 2050, uh, outsold the new Tyler Perry movie on its opening weekend in Los Angeles. <sighs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to need you to say that sentence again. Dean Kane's new vehicle, a sex robot movie entitled 2050, uh, outperformed the new Tyler Perry movie and How to Train Your Dragons in the single theater in L.A. it debuted in. <laughs> this is all cursed. This is all dark-sided. Ah, Jesus. Wait, Dean Kane is doing a, a, a sex robot movie. I thought he wasn't doing i thought he wasn't working blue these days well well it's it's really it's more than sex robots it's a down on his luck family man needs to find a way to make some money and he discovers a warehouse full of robots and he thinks sex trafficking robots let's do it see this uh, hits really close to home because uh r- recently we became the owner of uh, a beautiful baby roomba <laughs> A bouncing um, baby Roomba. <laughs> a bouncing baby Roomba. Now, and this is the thing that I love so much is how human beings will pack bond with fucking anything. Like, I, th- this is a thing that always weirds me out when I see a thing like uh, becoming uh, human or whatever, where it's sort of, um, oh, you know, like people are just going to abuse the shit out of robots and be horrible to them. Like, minutes into looking at this Roomba, and I was like, oh shit, if I have to send this away for repairs, I'm going to have to request that they send the same Roomba back. Yeah, like, you know, in Japan, people bought those, um, you know how America had those, like, toy robot dogs, and everyone was like, oh, what a good toy, and kids, like, oh, throw yeah. them away. In Japan, people bought those as pets, and now they don't make them anymore, so people are having to, like, bury them, because oh their their companion, like, their actual dog, their robot dog dies, and they can't replace it. Oh, Jesus, so you're burying your robot dog? Yeah. I, yeah. So by the time we actually have anthropomorphic androids and robots, I feel like they're going to be just fine. Like we, like, anytime that you see somebody like kicking that robot, do- like the uh, the the weird uh, quadrupedal robot that auto stabilizes, and you just see this, this guy kicking it, and instantly I'm like, oh, this man deserves to die. See, I see you're going to just welcome our robot overlords. I feel oh, like yeah. I'm going to fight back because <laughs> I deeply resent drones and anyone who's like hey you know even like a five dollar cheap drone like i Mm -hmm. would shoot it out of the sky (laughs) like there's all these news reports of i can't believe someone shot a drone out of the sky no don't fly drones (laughs) over my home i don't own a gun but i will go get one to shoot a drone (laughs) you know what actually this is you've just you've just exposed a uh uh, a hole in in my uh, love of robots i do fucking hate drones and the concept of drones. And I think it's, you know what it is? All of us should enjoy little RC helicopters that we can fly around all over the place. Like, why did unethical shitbirds have to make drones into something that I resent when I see them? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, it's, it's it's a lot. It's a dark timeline. But maybe it's a it's okay that we're in the dark timeline because a sex robot movie could sell more tickets than Tyler Perry's new Medea uh, movie. It's beautiful. So this does this speak to the enduring popularity of Dean Cain or of sex robots? I think sex robots. <laughs> think so too because i don't think when it's I like i heard it i was like sex robots first oh and dean kane's in it yeah well because i was like dean kane who as we know was in uh, god's not dead um as a uh, uh, a hot shot atheist lawyer who learns the error of his ways before dying i thought he um, was a professor oh no that's kevin sorbo <laughs> Kevin Sorbo is the. I haven't uh, seen that accursed film, so I'm oh. I'm going in the dark. I refuse to. As a person who works in academia, it feels like a betrayal to wait. To Quincy, see that are movie. are you telling me that on the first day of class you don't tell your entire class like by the end of this semester I will make all of you personally say that God is dead or else I'll fail you. I'm telling you that at the beginning of every semester I have students walk into my room expecting that to happen <laughs> because they've been brainwashed into thinking that academia is anti-religious and is expressly uh, focused on destroying their faith. Yeah, which is also, I yeah, without getting on my soapbox, it does sort of um, blow my mind that still in 2019 people think that, like, God isn't allowed in school refers to, like, yeah, you're you're banned from praying in schools or having religious material. or And it's like, no, that's you can and always have been able to do those things. They just literally are not legally allowed to force you to consume religious material. Well, and I'm also, like, I have to make it clear that because it's in the Bible is not an academic source for any argument. Yeah. <laughs> and in it's, teaching rhetoric, it doesn't work. Although, honestly, I, I do love the genre of film of, like, well, we just took a chain letter and, <laughs> and made it a fucking movie. Filmed it. We got Kevin Sorbo on the horn, and we're like, hey, you're a, you're a professor who doesn't believe in God. And he's, like, already on set doing squats, screaming ready to go see i um, choose to believe that kevin sorbo actually is hercules as was established <laughs> in the hercules tv show that he's an immortal and now he's just living as a man named kevin sorbo so that show's oh, been off the air for a while and shit. it's a very long and boring life for hercules Wait, as, as, so. as a as, as a demigod is that his axe to grind with atheism is that he's like i'm gonna do this movie where it's like hey i heard you were talking shit about higher powers and he just like comes in flexing and throwing a fucking boomerang or not a boomerang what was that thing xena threw a chakram yeah chakram which are real yeah, they are real um so let's dive into our first movie which uh so this uh was a request by the way that um, well, we're I, I out guess... of time folks we'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. um so the first movie we're doing uh came as a request from uh, andrew fazzini uh recovering hipster uh on tumblr who uh, requested uh, 1972's The Baby. Oh, mama, this movie. Holy Christ on his throne. All right. So, uh, as you might... All right, so let's give, let's give, a, let's give a brief uh, plot synopsis, I think, of the thing, right? Can, can I request that we not spoil this movie because it really ruins the experience? Oh, absolutely. Actually, I also... I think both of us spoiled ourselves reading the Wikipedia page. Don't do it, y'all. I know uh, you want to. Put your phone down. Honestly, the twist in this legitimately froze my blood. It's... This movie is so upsetting. So the baby, the plot of the baby... Um, there is a social worker who, um, which by the way, I, I feel like as a preface to this episode, we should just get this out of the way. 
the movies we're doing are problematic as fuck. Very problematic. Uh, um, they are. It's a, it's a lot. So the baby, um, there's a, a social worker whose uh, husband, uh, something horrible has happened to her architect husband. Which, by the way, what the fuck is it with people, with architects in horror movies? Like, there are no architects in the world except in horror films where everybody is, a, is an architect. I've met a grand total of one architect in my life. Yeah, like, that's, and then if you look at horror movies, everybody's husband is, anyway, so uh, her uh, husband, uh, something tragic befell him, and so she's, like, throwing herself into her social work, and she finds this family, uh, not unlike, I would say, the Sawyer family, only imagine the Sawyer family, but matriarchal. And and throw in some Mommy Dearest. Oh, a healthy uh, spoonful of Mommy Dearest. Um, and a little the, uh, bit of Grey Gardens. Right, and so the matriarch of the family uh, is played by uh, Ruth Roman, who was the, the one of the main characters in Strangers on a Train, and she is just this formidable New York battle axe. Like she's got a she's got a voice like a wet ashtray, and she's just uh, you know not fucking around. And so she's the head of this family with these two horrible, horrible sisters, uh, and she has a son who turns out to be a 30-year-old adult man who believes he is a baby and is developmentally a pre-vocal infant. And and the montage at the beginning of the movie implies that he has some sort of disorder where this is a from birth he never developed. Right. And so you're sort of like, okay, so it's I guess we're doing a, a kind of reverse Flowers for Algernon. Now, obviously... This is all right. I can't even believe I'm going to say this. This movie is not actually that shitty about the conceit of the film. I feel like what it does is it, it introduces the thing, makes you uncomfortable, and then sort of moves on to the dynamic between the social worker and uh, Ruth Roman. It's funny you say that because there's not a second of this movie that doesn't squick me out. Yeah, it is. There's oh god. There's so much that happens, and there is a scene where there's a babysitter for the thirty-year-old baby man who is just called uh, baby in the film. So there's a bit in this where um, uh, the mom and the sisters are out doing a thing, and they've left a babysitter in charge of um, babysitting the thirty-year-old baby man who is just referred to as uh, baby in the thing. Like they never get a name. Uh, and this babysitter is uh, sexually frustrated and on the phone with their boyfriend and they really don't want to be babysitting and then like at one point the baby is crying so she pops her tit out and starts breastfeeding him with like a look of obvious orgasmic bliss on her face and then the mom comes home and says what is wrong with you and then they proceed to like torture the babysitter yeah they thrash the shit out of her like they just beat the shit out of this lady and then they're like alright get the fuck out of here um and so you start questioning, like, wait, is this um, family uh, keeping... Like, like you, you sort of find out that they are uh, maybe keeping this adult man uh, from developing into uh, cognitively an adult man by, like, negative reinforcement, where, like, every time he tries standing up or speaking or doing adult stuff, they will, like, shock him with a cattle prod. Yeah, and that's the mystery, is you're watching this um, this social worker trying to get the get to the bottom of this screwy family, and, like, everyone's like, they're a lost cause, they're just in it for the, you know, and it's like, it plays on that very 70s, oh, this is a family that's just 
playing the welfare system and like oh, you're yeah. watching it waiting for that <sighs> reveal and then it just gets creepier as as insane as, as all right so as as insane as this movie already sounds which also features a scene with one of the daughters also i i think it's implied that she sexually abuses the the son so what they do is they lure the social worker to the to this party for baby where it's like all right well you know we're gonna have a birthday party for him and she shows up and is having a really intense game of darts with one of the daughters, and um, they they slip they slip a Mickey in her drink, and she ends up sort of the, the, the mom is going to kill her later on, but she's like, well, we're having a giant psychedelic early seventies party where all of us are wearing go-go boots, so this well, movie let's... was made in seventy three, but feels so sixties still. Oh man, the stink of the nineteen sixties is just fucking ripe on this film. Um, and so the the baby uh, helps the social worker anyway uh, get out of the thing. Nothing actually happens to the social worker while she's tied up, but I think there is a hint of like sexual threat because of the 1970s and also all of uh, culture. Okay, and then the movie just like flies off the rails. Yeah, as insane as the movie sounds right now, I promise you it gets fucking crazier. And now. I can't even believe I'm going to say this. This is a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's a pretty good movie. It makes me so uncomfortable, but in a good kind of way. Yeah, and I feel like so much of me so much of me loving this movie has to do with the fact that like it didn't force me it didn't like rub my face in the thing of like this is an adult who believes they are a baby. And cuz I feel like if they had done that for laughs or been shitty and like really really put some stank on it it would have been really off-putting and shitty and obviously uh this should go without saying but really doesn't there's a weird ableist thing about that about like how mental illness is treated in this and how society views social workers and how like the sort of distrust of social workers that like you know, you, you you never really know what they're what they're you know up to with trying to look out for the welfare of children. Like, yeah, there's why would this? It's that trope of like the social worker that tries too hard because the system already says this doesn't work. But the the social worker's got to like cross a boundary because by golly, you know we got a real shot at fixing this. <sighs> yeah, and it's now what it is with this movie i think it's it's well made but more than that i feel like it's so it's problematic as shit in so many ways but i feel like it's a perfect so you know how when we were doing um what was that really bad dracula movie we or not dracula but like vampire movie we did on the podcast that was like boo the sexual revolution uh love at first bite yeah love at first bite there's a similar thing with that where like the title of this movie is could also be boo sexual revolution where or like boo feminism where there's this anxiety from the from let's face it all of the male filmmakers on this film who i think are fucking terrified of women because all of the dudes in this movie are like either blithering dipshits or believe they are babies and they're they're not allowed to <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> all the dudes <laughs> right. in this movie think they're babies all the it's the weirdest thing they all think they're babies but you can tell that like this is the filmmaker sort of and then there's one line in this where the social worker is at the party for the adult man baby and this uh, sleazoid is hitting on her, and she's like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. And he's like, oh, are you a women's liber? And it, it, that immediately just, like, clicked for me that, like, oh, the people who made this film are fucking terrified of women. Like, there's, and because, you know, although, honestly, the fact that all of the capable people in the movie are women, 
Like, there, this movie is dealing with 1973 and kind of doesn't know what to do with itself, but they do have an adult baby. Which I think also explains why it is such a, like, unsung gem. Because it's like, it doesn't fit 73. It It's a movie made in the 70s that looks like it should have been made in the 60s, mm-hmm. but doesn't fit any time or place. Yeah, and it's a and movie now, that precurses uh, the whole John Waters oeuvre, and it fits. Oh yeah, it, it's it's basically like thirty years too early. Yeah, this is. I got such st- strong John Waters vibes from this, and also like honestly, I feel like Rob Zombie has probably seen this movie and probably really likes the baby. Yeah, because you've got like psychotronic, like the soundtrack on this thing, which apparently, and so I fell down a hole with the baby because I had to know everything about this movie. Um, the original soundtrack was lost, so they had to redo the thing, and it is just psychedelic as shit. It sounds like they've got Ray Manzarek from The Doors tied up to a car battery, and they've and they're threatening his family. Like it is weird and frantic, but also very danceable. And also, I the other thing that bums me out is that the version that we watch, which, by the way, is up on YouTube, you can watch The Baby 1973 if you really want it. It's on YouTube, and I think you should, because I think it's an overlooked, fucking fascinating movie. However, there is However, a new Blu-ray, and I cannot uh, recommend <laughs> looking oh, into buying this on, like, high definition. Uh, I, because... I <laughs> The grainy YouTube clip made me want to crawl out of my skin. I cannot imagine what that would feel like in a, you know, wall-to-wall <laughs> home theater scenario. With, with the Oculus Rift, where yeah. you're just, it's like, God, it's like I'm there with the Wadsworths. Um, yeah, it, honestly, this is one of those things where the format of the thing being grainy as shit really gave this a boost for me. Um, the, the thing that bums me out is that the original version of this had, so the actor who plays the baby... Um, initially in the original cut supplied all of his own baby noises and made all of the noises himself and apparently they just redid it in ADR with actual baby noises and I am honestly kind of bummed out because I would love to see this movie with the actor making baby noises I do feel robbed that I wanted man baby noises yeah like if you're gonna if you're gonna go man baby fucking go man baby like don't don't cut it like this is a thing that I respect about David Bowie aside from everything is that he did the baby noises for Toby the baby in Labyrinth like if, if listen if you've got the chops and you can make disconcertingly good baby noises like cats this is the thing that I love about cats they've learned how to mimic human babies with their meows to make us want to nurture them I respect a good baby noise Man, I feel like I really wanted. I really want a rank and file T-shirt, and I feel like we're throwing some really good slogans in. Yeah, this is really. Yeah, we're we're really going for it. I man, this movie. I feel like this is a movie that should be watched. Now, all right, all right, Quincy. My question for you: Did you watch this with other people nearby? Oh hell no. Yeah, me neither. I me specifically neither. waited until I was alone. <laughs> Because yeah, of same. the shame. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want... I mean, this the experience of watching the baby in a room full of people, that sounds like a nightmare dimension. Oh, like, yeah, that is untenable. It is the most <laughs> cringy uh, movie. It's, it's weaponized cringe. And I want to know if that was by... Is this the cringiest film of all time? 
Now, and here's here's the thing is I feel like it's for me not I I don't know if all right I don't know if my nerves are shot and I am a withered crone who doesn't have feelings anymore. This wasn't super cringy for me when it because it for what what it was doing so much was like focusing on the weird game of cat and mouse with the social worker and the matriarch of the family. Like I feel like. Once the movie introduces the concept of the baby, I feel like it's off to the races. And, like, I'm sad and uncomfortable when the baby is on screen because that actor really commits. But I, you know, I I, I know a movie cringier than this, and it is The Greasy Strangler. What is a movie on our list that is more upsetting, any part is more upsetting than that babysitter wanting to have sex with an adult baby? Oh man, that bit or the sister or the oh Jesus. There this movie, you know, I just appreciate a movie that makes me want to crawl out of my own skin like an insect shedding their carapace. And I I really really appreciate this movie. I feel like okay. Cringy. So does this movie go toward the top of the list or the bottom of the list? Ryan, I don't know. <laughs> I legitimately it fits don't on both ends. I legitimately don't fucking know. All right, so here here we go. Let's try a thing on for size and see how we feel about it. Is the baby in the territory of Eraserhead and Rosemary's baby? No. No. Okay. Is yeah, it in the territory fair. of Luna de Miel when he pours acid into that's wo- that woman's mouth? Oh, definitely not. No, I, I feel like the torture in this is not... It's not that... It's it's not as bad as pouring acid into somebody's mouth. Um, and also the entire thing is not one long extended sexual assault scene. Yeah. The way Luna de Miel is. So I so between which by the way I love about cult movies when we're like okay so are we scrolling to the top of our list or the bottom now another movie that's just insanely wild mm-hmm. it's gonna be like Happy Birthday to Me at three twenty five ooh man 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 yeah actually Happy Birthday to Me I feel like this is better than that. What about Faces of Death? Like, in terms of, like, (laughs) gnarly, shameful VHS tape that you keep under your mattress and only bust out. I I guess that's not really comparable, because Faces of Death is a sleepover movie, and the baby should not be. The baby is (laughs) a... You put this on when you want people to go home. Yeah, no, I was going to say, like, if I went to a sleepover and we all watched The Baby together... We're not talking again after that sleepover. We're all going to heal from this alone. Irreparable damage to friendships. <laughs> yeah, you're Just not going to be able to look each other in the eye. So, so here's what drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. This movie came out in 73. Yep. Um, I don't know the lineage of its, vi- its video releases, but there is a timeline where you and I could have seen this at sleepovers. My and God. And we didn't. I, I feel like in that timeline, we have seen this movie and agreed never to speak of it again. <laughs> That's it. Like, like, And I feel like this is part of a genre of movie where like, it's this, and have you seen The Boy? Which one? Uh, the one where it's, um, we need you to babysit our son who is a doll. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I. You know what? That movie wasn't, I, I was a little disappointed in The Boy. Well, yeah. The ending kind of... Uh... 
kind of crimps that wire. But yeah. uh, it's it's definitely that kind of uh, arrested development is a scary thing, and, this and a is, pretty well used trope. This is like Lars and the Real Girl for adult babies. Ooh, that reminds me. Uh, on our list is Lars and the Real Girl, but murderous, which is love objects. <laughs> love objects. <laughs> so what is worse? Now remember, love object has the immortal line: uh, "Love is temporary, but plasticine is forever." <sighs> that As is he true. goes right. to shove a trocar filled with plasticine that he's going to plasticize her body with, so he can absolutely uh, do is. his thing with her for right. all of time. Because this is what this is the the life he's chosen. Uh, I think it's better than Love Object. I also think it's better than the Island of Doctor Moreau. I think it's better than the Bye Bye Man. I think it's better than Gantz O. Oh, for sure. Oh uh, shit! It's better than I... Daguerreotype because something happens. Right, because literally anything happens. Now I think I actually found my my bottleneck for this. I do not think it is better than Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak. I don't think it's better than Hush, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Fair enough. Because That's actually... Hush is like a keep me on the edge of my toes thriller kind of movie. And mm-hmm. now, now I'll I'll defer to you because I didn't finish it because mm-hmm. I, it was too uncomfortable, and I'd already <laughs> spoiled myself on Wikipedia, and I couldn't take any more. <laughs> I think you know what it is. Uh, I've seen Pink Flamingos so many times that I think when I see a movie like this, I'm like, fuck it, it's fine. Um, I I think, honestly, this is a really worthy thriller. Like, the third act of this movie fucking goes. Like, they, it's so good. We have a lot of movies on this list where the twist ruins the movie. You're saying the twist is earned and does not destroy the film. Oh, like I think, say Sleepaway Camp. Like Sleepaway Camp. I think not only is the twist earned, it that twist actually anytime that I physically actually go yo after I've found it out, th- th- it's it's good. It's like uh, so uh, at my household we are uh, firmly ensconced in uh, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. We're on um, season seven right now. I've realized that my favorite drag looks are any one that actually makes me go oh you cheeky fucker. Like, if I am uh, scandalized and surprised by a thing, I think I appreciate that. And so the baby, the third act of this film really, like, holds up, and the twist is just fucking incredible. But also, I think you're right. I think, and I'm I'm not even a fan of Hush from 2016, and I think it has tighter pacing, and it chugs along a little bit better than this, because... There's definitely a case of, like, second-act bloat in this where you kind of have to push through it because you're looking at an adult baby, but... You know, like everyone does. <laughs> you know that classic thing that we've all done where we're watching a movie about an adult baby? Um, so... Now, and I will say, I'm I am extremely online, and I've seen a lot of terrible things on the internet, and I'm so pleased that this movie is not adult baby fetish shit. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone likes it. Hey, um, did you remember that not only is Space Jam a movie for, you know, a lot of furries to, like, come out, it also has inflation in it? Oh, fuck. It does have inflation. Oh, Jesus. So, what, the scene with the, uh, where they bring out the the bike pump? Yeah, yeah, because, um... 
the guy that plays Newman, I can never remember that dude's name. Wayne Knight, that's it. Wayne Knight gets squished, and they overinflate him to, like, get him back to real life. And, like, no, no, like, no kink shaming or anything, but, like, I was watching mm-hmm. that and goes, yeah, the Venn diagram of those two things I've seen on the internet together. <laughs> and also, um, so I'm really into the Big Chungus meme. Uh, <laughs> Same, yeah. And and one of the things that people do is like, oh, I'll just dig into the fetish uh, fan art and mm-hmm. dredge up every inflation Lola Bunny thing. And it's like, oh, well, we all know it's out there. You don't really, you're not clever, dude. No, no, no. Lola Bunny, like, Lola Bunny's entire purpose in being introduced in Space Jam was, what if Bugs Bunny but hot and a lady bunny who fucks? Which is almost unnecessary because of he did Bugs drag. Bunny and drag is yeah. also fuckable Bugs Bunny. So wait, so do Lola Bunny and Bugs like does does she make Bugs Bunny do drag? I mean, in Ideally. my fiction, listen, she does, if you're a fucking but... cartoon, you have license to be into whatever weird shit you want. You get killed by anvils every day of your life. You've earned whatever weird fetish happened across your subconscious that morning. So so are we po- are you positing that the Looney Tunes universe is basically David Cronenberg's crash. That they're just so <laughs> numb that they have to fucking yes. bar crashes to feel alive. I'm saying that uh, Wiley Coyote can only nut if he has just fallen to his death. It is basically David Cronenberg's <laughs> crash. They, yeah, it's that's right. And also, by the way, speaking of hashtag problematic movies, um, so we were watching Space Jam. Uh, a few months ago, and uh, so there's certain stuff about Space Jam that I hadn't really thought about as a kid who loved Space Jam. Well, let's there get is... into it, because I watched it with my son today. <sighs> Do you remember the bit where Elmer Fudd says to Michael Jordan, they're gonna make us swaves? And oh, there's no, a I didn't think bit... about it like that. I didn't and... think that they're like, they talk about slaves a lot. But now yeah. that you pointed it out, I'm like, yeah, that but, is pretty bad. But then there's the bit where Danny DeVito voicing... No, it's just Danny DeVito, actually. That was him. Um, is actually, like, saying to Michael Jordan, like, if your team loses, we will chain you to a rock. Also, you are a black man in America in 1996. And I love the specter of Michael Jordan's gambling problem in that whole <laughs> film. Oh my god. Because they're all like, I can't believe you won't play basketball anymore, Mike. And even like Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing are like, you won't play anymore. And it's like, yeah, because the NBA won't let him. (laughs) Because he is barred from it because of his gambling addiction. Yeah, he it's, was fixing games. <laughs> shit. There, there is so much. Also, by the way, I love that Jay Z ghost wrote Bugs Bunny's raps on the Space Jam soundtrack for Buggin'. <laughs> Holy shit! I didn't know that. Which leads somehow into our next movie. Which... See, that's great because uh, Space Jam was the first, um, my first exposure to like rap and R and B. Because that's like oh, one shit. of the first CDs I got. So like, nice. My white you know, Southern American heritage of like, Oh man. So speaking of, speaking Space of problematic... Jam and Eminem were my first exposures to <laughs> hip hop. <laughs> Shit. I, this is, I think mine was uh, the first album I ever bought with my own money was uh crisscross. Oh, crisscross is going to make you jump, jump. 
They will can make we you talk, jump, jump. Can we rank the I missed the bus video? Because that scared the <laughs> shit out of me as a child. No, we cannot. We will Do you know what I'm talking rank. about? Because like the, the teacher no. is an alien and is like plotting crisscrosses doom because they missed the bus oh my god no i've never seen the video for jump jump by crisscross no no not jump jump i missed the bus oh the i missed second the second single that no one talks about because it's trash <laughs> but it made because its debut yeah. on snick after an episode of are you afraid of the dark so right so so naturally and as a kid you know it deeply spoke to me like i'm also shit at getting dressed in the morning and these young men put their pants on backwards listen so, yeah, next week we have to do the i miss the bus video oh yeah definitely we're doing that one um but so speaking of uh problematic uh movies that deal with race let's talk about the next one uh, trilogy of terror Yes, the the horror classic trilogy of terror, the Karen Black vehicle. Oh yeah, this is a this is a Karen Black uh, audition reel. Like she is the common thread throughout every segment. So this is a trilogy of terror, as you might have guessed, as a horror anthology that was a TV movie uh, in the nineteen eighties. Produced and-, and directed by Dan Curtis of total 70s ghoul fame um dark shadows and cold Chack and yep. all that shit <laughs> and adapted from stories by fucking richard matheson uh who obviously wrote i am legend and hell house and a bunch of other stuff um and these now let's just get this out of the way right now so it's a horror anthology there are three uh shorts in which karen black does stuff the first two are shit i mean they're they're fine, but even with, like, Richard Matheson, it's like, did you just go to the bottom of the barrel? Did you do that thing where you pick the two shortest stories in the book? Yeah, well, and also the worst ones. So the, the first one that I've, I've been angry about it since I saw this. So the uh, I'm not going to go into it too much, but the, the first segment of this, called Julie, uh, deals with uh, there's a young uh, frat guy who um, decides to prey on his uh, English professor and she or is he in high school or college he's in college and he uh he is blackmailing his english professor right because he um slips so we are now two for two well i guess two for three if we're also considering space jam a movie we've talked about for movies in which somebody was slipped a mickey in their drink and so he takes photographs of his teacher in compromising positions and blackmails her and um, the, the entire, all right, so I'm just going to spoil it because it's the most garbage ending I've ever seen to anything at the very, like at the end of the thing, he's been blackmailing her. And then she's like, well, I'm bored now. And he's like, what? And she's like, I mind controlled you into blackmailing me somehow. And he's like, what? And she's like, anyway, you're poisoned. And he's like, oh no. And he's dead now. And then it ends with her like luring another young stud in uh, as a student for killing i don't this is another movie like trying to deal with rape culture and just absolutely shitting the bed and not knowing how to comment on it in any substantial way yeah it's like sit down dan curtis you're not (laughs) ready for this no it's very bad so we've got that one and then the second one we've got all right so if you ask if if you put a gun to my head and said what's your least favorite horror trope I'd be like, spooky mental asylums. And you'd be like, okay, right after that. And I'd be like, multiple personality disorder. Um, And the second one is uh, the sister... Ryan, that's the same trope. 
Yeah, I you know, there's a Venn diagram. Where it's just like, <laughs> oh, oh, I hate it when I have to go to the spooky mental asylum for my multiple personality disorder. Um, and so the second bit is just Karen Black and Karen Black are sisters, and you don't find it. Now, it's the most telegraphed reveal I've ever seen. What? And I... So, so this is funny. So yeah. I did not foresee the ending. Um, so tell me why you think it's telegraphed. Oh, because so it's the sister who is uh, sort of talking to a doctor about uh, like, oh, my my sister's a real a real bad seed, a real bad apple. She's into she's into Satan shit. She stays out on school nights. She chews gum and cl- whatever the fuck. And he is sort of like, oh, yeah, she sounds very bad. And then he, he shows up. Um, and, and, you know, the, the brunette sister is very dowdy and has glasses and it's Karen Black. And then um, her other her, her sister, Karen Black, um, who you can tell is Karen Black from having ever looked at her uh, in a blonde wig. And is also sort of like, that she's been in the first <laughs> <laughs> segment. You, segment you, also. And she's you, in the third segment. Fuck's sake. And it's like, oh, shit. And so she shows up. And at, at this point, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, that's the same person, just in a shitty wig. And it, the it, it it's like uh, the doctor shows up and she's like, "Hey, I'm into Satan and fucking." Uh, and the guy's like, "No." And then the brunette sister try like kills the blonde sister, which turns out to be herself. Oh no! And it's like they give you a sort of Psycho ending, like where they they tell you where during the ending of Psycho, where they explain to you the ending of Psycho. Um, yeah. Where they're like, "Oh well, she had multiple personality disorder," and it's. Uh, extremely bad. So then we get to the third bit, which is the really racist part of Trilogy of Terror. Yeah, and the only part anyone remembers of Trilogy of Terror. Yes, because... And the only part I remember from the video store looking at the box of Trilogy of Terror. Yeah, because they got a little statue with pointy teeth, and and he's screaming at you. And so the the third segment, um, which is racist, is this... So Karen Black uh, lives in the big city, and she's in a big high-rise building, and she lives, you know... Uh, she's living in the city. It's never. I don't think. Is it ever specified which big city? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. She's living in downtown, wherever the fuck, and she's on the phone with her mom, who's like, "Oh, I don't think you should be living in the big city." And she's like, "Whatever, mom. I'm I I'm Karen Black." And she hangs up. And so she's just picked up um, a, a little figurine of a Zuni warrior that a scroll informs her is inhabited by the spirit of a Zuni warrior who is uh, referred to as he who kills. And the scroll is like, so hey, so just so you know, the little gold uh, chain on this figurine is the thing that keeps its soul bound in the doll. So just, you know, make sure you don't take that off or else the soul will get out and fuck your shit up. So she's like, whatever, I've never read anything in my life. So the chain falls off and we get 15 minutes of just this doll harassing Karen Black. Yeah, and and yelling the most offensive cartoon gibberish. Oh my god. Oh, it's it's now the thing is, it also has the voice of Meatwad. So you've got this like evil troll doll going and just like chasing Karen Black around and yeah, doing gross fucking uh Ooga Booga uh racist like faux tribal language. And so and and you know I always get I always get sort of annoyed when somebody is talking about uh, child's play and the critique is like, 
Well, it's it's a fucking doll. Like, just yeet the fucker into the fireplace, or like drop kick the doll. It's a doll. So um, let me tell you about my um, frustration, which is uh, one of mm-hmm. my favorite movies, um, Small Soldiers, because oh, sure. the argument is also they're just toys. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. but they have nail guns, and I don't want to be shot with a nail gun. Like, I don't want <laughs> the Zuni warrior doll to stab me with a kitchen knife. Good point. That's exactly right. Like, I don't want Chucky to fucking stab me with his tiny knife. Like, it's... It would hurt. Like... No, <laughs> and, 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 and I think Karen it's... Black convincingly says, Ow, I'm being stabbed with a tiny knife over and over again. This sucks. <laughs> Fuck this. I This is honestly... Because I think it's easy to watch a movie about a killer doll and be like, whatever, just dropkick the fucking thing. If I had a doll in my home that came to life and rolled up on me with a knife, I would be fully losing my shit and running and screaming. I'm not I'm not trying to tangle with a possessed doll. That's yeah. not the life I see for myself. And so anyway, so uh, it gets to the end of the thing. And uh, she has uh, been have, playing grab ass with this fucking evil figurine for like 15 minutes, and then eventually uh, it possesses her. And so her mom calls back and uh, on the phone, and she's like, "No, yeah, I'm totally fine. In fact, you should come over to my place for dinner." And she doesn't. I don't know why she sounds like Derby the dog. And uh, you know, hangs she's up got the phone. Teeth. She's got yeah, zuni teeth now. Yeah, yeah, she's got the creepy zuni teeth. And now, actually, and I do have to admit, this shot is cool that it ends on of um, Karen Black uh, sort of uh, huddling. At, like, she hangs up the phone and then tears the lock off the door and sits in front of the door on the inside of the apartment, like, hunched over on her haunches. Hun- hunched haunches. And she's, like, got a knife, and she's just rhythmically sort of thudding the knife point into the ground and glaring at the door, and then the camera does a slow zoom, and she opens her mouth, and she has the pointy teeth that the doll had, and that's so. Here's where the that part ends. that makes this extra problematic. So here's the problem: the Zuni are an actual Native American tribe. Oh fuck me! I didn't. You know what? I didn't Google it because I feel like I didn't want to know. Yeah. Oh boy, that's and and like and like not that it would be not that it would be better if the Zuni tribe were totally made up, right? Like, like they couldn't be... call them the Zumis or like the Zerbert tribe. I mean, <sighs> yeah, like I mean that would still be racist and like be appealing to really gross shit. But the fact that the Zuni tribe is an actual um, indigenous tribe, it's a bad bake, Maryberry. Yeah. So where do you want to put this uh, turd bird? The, yeah, so uh, I, I I truly cannot stress enough how fuck how much I fucking hate Trilogy of Terror. Um, it's it's like boring, boring races. <clears throat> and, and here's the thing although, that bothers me: there's a Trilogy mm-hmm. Terror two, but there's not a Trilogy of Terror three. So we don't have a Trilogy what? of Terror trilogy. That is so upsetting. That's like that's like finding out if you want to upset Christina, you just tell her like you just say the phrase "What's up." Because of the fact that the four non blonde song that has, you know that has that chorus, yeah. What's going on? The name of the song is "What's Up." <laughs> <laughs> She's making this face she, across the room. She just mouthed "What the fuck" while doing mobster fingers. Um, so yeah, so this movie blows. Let's uh, all right. So I don't think uh, Trilogy of Terror is as good as Spooky Buddies. Oh, absolutely not. Um, Definitely not. Is it better or worse than Dracula Untold? 
Ooh, okay, so we're dealing with, which is worse, basically, brown face or uh, gross indigenous uh, fetish dolls? I'll tell you that Trilogy of Terror is more iconic. Yeah, and now I will, I, I hate that I'm trying to give this movie points for anything, but Karen Black does kill it. Yeah, she she is amazing in this movie. Yeah. Karen Black, who does eventually play the, the 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 matriarch of the Firefly family in House of a Thousand Corpses, um, American Treasure, Karen Black, like she's she's great. Just this movie is bad. Um, so I think not as good as Dracula Untold because, although you know what, actually Dracula Untold doesn't feature Dracula shit happening, but it does have Charles Dance. I don't know, Quincy. All right, I'm I'm leaving this one in your hands. What do you think? So I would actually say um, up several spots to probably like Goosebumps 2. Actually, (laughs) here's the thing. It's Uh better than The Silent Scream because it's basically three episodes of Hammer House of Horror stitched together. Yeah, 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 basically. That's yeah. That's a really that's a really good uh, comp, I think, for this. So I'd say right under Spooky Buddies. <laughs> so coming in at our new number three hundred and seventeen, above Hammer House of Horror uh, episode, The Silent Scream, and below Spooky Buddies, is Trilogy of Terror with Karen Black. And mostly, I just love that this movie is sub Spooky Buddies. <laughs> like Sacrifice and Puppy Souls, definitely above Boring Boring Racism. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Quincy, uh, where can our listeners find us on the internet? We are on Tumblr at rankandfile.tumblr.com. We are on Instagram at rankandfile. We are on YouTube at rankandfilecast. If you want to request a movie, put that in our ask box on Tumblr, or shoot us an email at rankandfilecast at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch for anything else, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email um, at that. We're also constantly on Twitter at rankandfilecast. Um, Ryan, would you like to um, tell people how they can listen to the show? Yeah, you can find us on uh, Stitcher, on um, not on SoundCloud. We are on iTunes. We are on Podbean. We're on Last.fm. Um, we also have a letterbox uh, full of uh, a bunch of stuff at just rank and vile. Um, guys, uh, if you like the show and you like uh, having us watch movies like The Baby so that you don't have to watch movies like The Baby... Um, consider telling a friend about us or like leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or just generally uh, harassing your friends and neighbors with our uh, garbage podcast because listen, listen to me, motherfuckers. We are 370 movies deep. Uh, we, I, I, I refuse to have our suffering be in vain. Um, but yeah, it's that's, all uh, that's about you, all I got. Damien. It's, it's all, all for you, you. Damien. That's it. Stay spooky, y'all. Later, folks.